0: Unscrupulous thieves are willing to steal anything of value they can get their hands on, and the underground market for this sweet product is something beyond imagination. A simple breakfast table staple can net an enormous illegal profit. But the type of person willing to suck millions from a maple honey pot is also the type willing to do whatever it takes not to get caught. This week's episode is the Great Canadian Maple Syrup Heist. Uh, Never before has the topic made me eat so much.
1: I think I messaged you when I was researching and said, (laughs) I just lost time staring at a picture of syrup being poured over French toast. (laughs) And then I immediately texted Tommy and said, can we have Buzz Brews for breakfast in the morning? Because they have this stuff called griddle toast, which is like French toast, but it's thinner. It's hmm. whatever bread they, I got—I don't know if it's sourdough bread or what, but oh my God, it's so good. And it comes with syrup and you can get it with like fruit and, and it has like walnuts and stuff. Oh my God. It is so good. Damn. And I had it and it was uh, delicious.
0: As I was researching this, I told Paris we're having breakfast for dinner and I got French toast bites from Company Cafe, which is my favorite Dallas restaurant. And I ate them for dinner the whole thing yeah. it was awesome and then this weekend i ate even more pancakes so i'm i'm syruped out
1: pancakes are good i uh when i was like 25 i was on this kick where anytime i would get drunk and come home from the bar i would make pancakes oh that's dedication it was <laughs> a mess it's like what can we make that's the messiest thing you can make that you're not going to clean up, and then the next morning, when you're feeling like shit, you get to walk down, and you're like, oh, that's right. I, there's flour and milk all over my kitchen. And you're like, who did this? They were good, though, man. Yep. Worth it. Every time. Yep. And you got to have that syrup to go with it. Do you say so, syrup or syrup?
0: I actually was thinking that earlier. I was testing my mic alone in the, in the studio going, syrup? syrup? Syrup. Syrups. I guess, like, g- if I was genuinely saying it, I would say syrup. I say syrup, too. Yeah,
1: syrup. In the Netflix "Dirty Money" episode, I think a lot of them said syrup. So I wonder if syrup is more of a Southern way of saying it. Yeah, maybe so. Syrup. Give me syrup. Some syrup on mm. them waffles. Waffles
0: or pancakes? Pancakes all day. Oh yeah. Do you like waffles better? I'm a waffle. I'm a waffle gal. Because it's uh, the little squares hold the syrup in. Uh, mine are Snoopy shaped, so it's more of a. <laughs> Do they Joyful. Have,
1: but doesn't the doesn't it still have little squares? I don't mean the no, square just, of the waffle, like the holes.
0: No, there's no holes on him. It's just his face. It's an imprint of his face. So there's an edge around, so you the syrup
1: is held in Snoopy's face oh, and they just gotcha. eat his head. I have a Snoopy snow cone machine. It's so weird that they made all these peanuts home accoutrements. I had one when I was little and I loved it. And then as an adult, I would always talk about how much I missed my snoopy soko machine and then my mom found one and ordered it for me and gave it to me so
0: mom you, sweet you literally
1: like put ice cubes in the tiniest little thing that has these silver little blade it's like a cheese grater and then you crank it and out comes uh, shaved ice i suppose but and then it comes with syrup and um i remember it was like cherry syrup but it's in the shape of snoopy's doghouse the whole snow oh, cone machine. Oh, that's fun. It was very oh, fun. Oh, that's fun. Very fun. Well, can
0: you put cheese through it? I guess you could.
1: Anything's oh, a cheese man. grater. Oh, man. Anything's a cheese grater if you want it to be, I guess. I've also been on a snow cone kick lately. Oh, nice. Dude. If anybody needs some snowball, I'm going to call them snowballs because that's what I think they are. Snowball recommendations in Dallas. I've got a list going. <laughs> I love it. To- <laughs> top three snowball places in Dallas. Number one, without a doubt, Ruby's. Oh, yeah, that's famous. Oh, my gosh. So good. Because they have traditional flavors, but then they also have kind of, I don't want to say high-end, but just really unique. My favorite is the Lebanese tea. Oh, and okay. That is high-end. Dude, end. it's so good. It's like black tea, lemon, um, I think rose water, and then they the sprinkle hell? pine nuts on top that give it this okay. crunch. I know it sounds crazy. It's so it rich. so good. No, it's not. It's so light and refreshing.
0: No, I mean like that's a
1: rich man's oh, it's, drink. Yeah, There's like yeah, pine yeah. It's a hundred dollars. It's a snowball. <laughs> it's so so good, but then they have regular flavors too. Second TC shaved ice. Okay, cash only, but it's so good too. They're more traditional flavors. They also have these things called knockouts where you can get a scoop of ice cream on top of your snow cone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Third is I don't even want to put it on the list, but I'm putting it on there because in a pinch we had to go there the other day is Bahama Bucks. But Oh I mean,
0: yeah, I, it's a good it's a you know like if you're on a road trip and you had to stop and get fast food, it's like that. Like Do you need a snow cone. Coming off
1: rubies and TCs, though, I was like, this is trash. I literally (laughs) took like four bites and threw it away. Because their syrup is just like a weird, it was a weird flavor. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? Syrup makes a difference. Also, do you get cream or no cream on
0: yours? Depends on the flavor I get. Mm, Okay. I like cherry no cream. And
1: then if it's like wedding cake or something, I'll get cream. We were talking about, Tommy was like, what do you think the most popular snow cone flavor is? And I said probably cherry or watermelon, and th- but mm-hmm. then I was like, or something weird like wedding cake, which I did. That's, that's so not funny. really my thing. I don't get those flavors. I g- I will get cherry or watermelon, but wedding cake would be too rich for me. But I can see how wedding cake with the cream would be really oh, good. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah. And if I go to TC's and put some damn ice cream in there, Dude, and then I'll go to TC's. On-
1: my favorite is my favorite traditional flavor is tiger's blood. Oh yeah. Oh, with some cream. Get out of here. Damn, I had to go get a snow cone after this. So, oh, well, they're all closed. They all have early hours now because of the sun. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about syrup so much because this week's episode is the Great Canadian Maple Syrup Heist. It's a crime, a breakfast crime. It's It's a crime that many think, ha, 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 but really... It's the biggest crime Quebec has ever seen.
0: It's it's one of those things where on the surface it is, oh, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of puns, a lot of sticky situation puns. There have been but, those. The
1: media love to use the sticky oh, situation my, pun.
0: Every YouTube video or like <laughs> that you watch that's news coverage of this, they're like, oh, sticky situation uh-huh. on a Canada rob. <laughs> yeah. But... When you look at it, this is, it's a serious, I mean, it's bigger than a bank robbery. Mm -hmm. It's bigger than, it's, than almost like Bernie Madoff kind of stuff. You know, it's embezzling. Bank robberies don't last
1: for a year. Yeah. If they did, (laughs) Jesus, something went terribly wrong on the bank's end. (laughs) Yeah, somebody (laughs) push the button under the desk. I guess, yeah, that's embezzlement. If it lasts for a year, that's a slow embezzlement, not just one-time robbery. One-time heist. Well, this was a suggestion from one of our Patreons, Luke. So thank you so much, Luke, for this. I had never heard of it. I don't think you'd heard of it, right? Nope. Mm -mm, I had no idea. But take to Google, and I'm surprised we had never heard of it because there are 8 million articles written about it. It's quite, it's well covered. It's um, the Netflix series, Dirty Money, did a whole episode on it, which was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, if you're from Canada, especially Quebec, I say Quebec, by the way, if you say Quebec, that's cool too. Tomato, tomato. But I'm going to be saying (laughs) Quebec this episode. There's also several French names. So as we always say, we're from Texas. So, this is how we talk. Had <laughs> us some slack. We do our best for sure. But um, yeah, if you're from that area, this didn't happen that long ago. So, I'm sure you remember it quite well. Well,
0: and I've, I, the way I have, can equivocate it with us is that it's like, syrup in Quebec is like oil in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a ton of people, it's their family business, they run their own rigs, they run their own farms. And they're subjected to these, you know, different rules and regulations. And thusly, you see, there's some rich families and families that are struggling. And it's like the Dallas, but it's Quebec. Mm-hmm. Quebec. Do
1: you say Quebec or Quebec? I would say Quebec. Yeah, I say Quebec. Also, when you said I'm going to equate it to something in Texas, my first thought was queso. <laughs>
0: okay if there's a queso heist that would be that's why i'm going to jail you know you do those like
1: if there's a queso heist
0: i feel like you and i are at the center of that (laughs) we're definitely gonna be uh high on the suspect list (laughs) i
1: will be a barrel roller for queso any day of the week Mm. well i'm christy i'm heather and let's get into it oh canada The land of friendliness, cleanliness, politeness, hockey, and some of our favorite funny people like Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, Seth Rogen, and handsome Ryan Reynolds. But Canada has an even sweeter export than comedic talent. Maple syrup. Over 70% of the world's pure maple syrup supply comes from Canada, and the country takes its export very seriously. So much so that it is considered offensive to serve impure syrup made from artificial ingredients. And even the country's prime minister takes the best and highest quality syrup on diplomatic trips to other countries and offers it as a gift to foreign leaders. That's a good gift, though. That is a good gift. Also, now all I can think about is if, like, Governor Abbott took a jar of queso with him when
0: he went <laughs> Wait, to another country. what restaurant would it be for? I know.
1: That's what I've been trying to think. Well, along with my snow cone kick, I've been on a queso kick because, sadly— More restaurants than you would think make their queso with chicken stock. Oh, wow. And it is a real battle to find vegetarian queso. Oh, wow. Apparently, On the Borders is. It's one of those things where, like, they say it is, but also,
0: is it? (laughs) But, well, that's what places will tell me that something doesn't have gluten mm-hmm. or wheat, And then I break out and I was like, oh, you lied to yeah, me. Yeah.
1: Sometimes you can taste it and be like, this 100% tastes like chicken stock. But then other times you're like, ah, it could go either way. And it's kind of like, I'm just going to, I really uh, want to trust them because I really would like to eat this queso. <laughs> so just I'm keep just, eating it and just I'm gonna, deal with this. I'm going to believe what they told me. <laughs> but yeah, um I would take, if I was going to take queso... As a gift to someone, oh, man, who would I take? I had on the border last night, and it was good. This is the one that's supposedly vegetarian. It was spicier than you'd think. I like yeah, – I'm not as big a fan as a white queso as I am a yellow queso. Oh, really? Do you like – which one do you like better?
0: I like white queso if it has uh... – as my friend Ian Phillips from law school would say, he's got all the bullshit in it. Yeah. He'll be like, He'd go, Give me a give me a order of queso with all the bullshit in it, meaning like ground beef, avocado, uh, okay like pico, and you mix it all in. So there was a Mexican restaurant across from the law school that we would always go to that had white queso. Which that. one? Uh, it's called Benditos.
1: Yeah. See, I don't like all the bullshit in it. I'm kind of a purist. I like nice. I like peppers and stuff like that, but even when I ate meat, I didn't really like the ground beef and stuff being mixed in. But if you like white queso, moroccas, and deep Ellum, Oh, I do. So I do good. like moroccas. They have spinach in there. It's very, very mm-hmm. good. Maple syrup is made from the sap of sugar maple trees that is boiled down into a delicious and sweet syrup. As simple as this breakfast compliment seems is actually a multi million dollar industry, tightly controlled by a cabal of wealthy syrup producers called the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers, known by the initials of its French name, FPAC, who many consider to be a cartel. There you know what, if there's money to be made, a cartel will crop up. Dude, I mean this is as profitable, if not more profitable, as having just fields and fields of cocoa plants. Yeah. Or poppy seeds yeah. that you're going to make into. Yes, up. absolutely. <laughs> it's just a legal drug. Well, people people get addicted. Get addicted that to ser- that. that sugar, yeah. Sweetness. Once the market for the goods started heating up in 1966, a group of producers teamed up to create this collective. They believed it would make them stronger to work together. But what actually happened was the creation of a monopoly with the Federation accused of strong-arming those who refused to comply. Though some were happy to enjoy the price stability that FPAC brought, not all producers agreed with the setup. It had been going on since the late 60s, but some producers decided enough was enough, and instead began selling their syrup on the black market. In the dead of night, producers would roll the barrels filled with their syrup out to be sold in deep market channels. Once the Federation caught wind of this, they cracked down in the form of private investigators, levying huge fines and inspections on sugar shacks, the small cabins where sap is collected from maple trees and boiled into syrup.
0: You know, the name sugar shack makes sense as a place that you're making the syrup, but it sounds like uh, some sort of a den of iniquity.
1: <laughs> it also sounds like um, a snow cone restaurant. <laughs> that's true that's that's
0: number four on your list
1: is sugar shack uh no number four is den of iniquity and then (laughs) number five is sugar shack
0: like come to sugar shack we get that real sticky (laughs) sweet
1: why all this fuss over something as silly as processed tree sap maple syrup is incredibly expensive basically liquid gold recruit oil sells for anywhere from 32 to 43 dollars per barrel Pure maple syrup can go for anywhere between $1,300 to $2,000 per barrel, and the FPAC wants to make sure they get their cut. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a cartel popping up when $2,000 per barrel of this stuff and a barrel weighs about 600 pounds? That's I mean, that is
0: the kind of stuff that causes cartels whenever you realize, hey, there's a fat market for this, like drugs or anything. It's going to cause someone to go, how can I exert power and control Absolutely. and also profit?
1: Of the 13,500 syrup producers in Quebec, each are allowed to produce enough syrup up to a particular quota. Once the quota is met, they must take their goods to the FPAC's warehouses. Some syrup is sold, with the Federation taking its hefty $54 per barrel cut. And syrup that isn't sold is placed in a strategic reserve to supply the hungry hordes in years where frigid winters or sweltering summers destroy the tree's ability to produce sap. But here's the catch. The money only goes to producers once the syrup is actually sold, meaning they could be waiting months or even years before they see a dime, or loony, in profit from their harvest. In order to get around this, some producers run their barrels out of the province and sell them to parties outside the federation. Yeah, this is kind of bullshit,
0: right? If you produce a shitload one year and they're like, "Sorry, we can only sell one barrel." Anyway, here's fifty bucks. Bye. Then you're gonna freak out and just be like, "You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it." It's again. It's this is just paralleling drugs, where yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you're, you're gonna it
1: finds a way. Also, I'd like to um, point out that we are now calling them loonies. Yes, that is right. what is Throwback maybe the, the biggest. <laughs> Sinisterhood drama to ever occur was when Heather misspoke and called it a toonie
0: Yes, that was and then Christy said you you go you have to answer all these messages because you did this.
1: <laughs> and I was like that's fair, that's fair. I answered but quite was, a few.
0: And know, then we just was,
1: decided to make a um blanket apology. The <laughs> what what episode was that?
0: Oh, gosh, I don't remember, but I do remember that uh, all there were so many messages being like, you're so wrong, but all of them were like, hi, um, hello, I just want to say, love the show, you're very brilliant, such a great show. Anyhow, it's actually a toonie. Again, sorry, apologies, <laughs> so just want to say thank you. It was yes. the most polite corrections ever, versus some people are like, hey, dummies, it's actually this. Yeah. So it's like,
1: this was the nicest. You can tell when a Canadian is emailing you. That's right. It's very, very polite. Kind. Yes. Well, if at any point the FPAC suspects a producer of selling outside the cartel, the producer must take on the financial burden of hiring its own bodyguards and become subject to thorough inspections. But even with all these measures in place, the FPAC still missed a huge leak that was happening right under their noses. Each year, employees of FPAC must take inventory of the Global Strategic Reserve throughout its various warehouses. The countless barrels of syrup are stacked one on top of the other, and one lucky employee is chosen to climb up to begin counting. Considering the enormous barrels are filled to the brim, they usually sit sturdy in the warehouse at around 600 pounds each. All of those barrels together, when full, could contain up to 10 million pounds of syrup, valued at a total of $30 million.
0: The other thing that blows my mind with this, and it is with anything, I guess guess that's the whole nature of economics and capitalism, is that, it's tree sap. This yeah. is tree sap. But yeah. it's... And even though it's processed, it's still like the value... Like something's only as valuable the, as an external pressure is putting on it. The same with oil, I guess.
1: Sure. You know, if we just decided that we just didn't need it. But also then- what's so interesting about this is the production of the sap is controlled by Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. So if one year there's a heat wave and... The trees don't produce the kind that of sap that they normally do. That's when the reserve is going to start releasing extra barrels that are in their mm-hmm. their warehouses and stuff. And so, the producers starting getting paid. But if it's or I don't I don't know if it's hot or cold, whichever one makes the most. But then if it's like super cold and that's what doesn't make the most, mm-hmm. or you get too much, then they're just like screwed.
0: Well, but, true. And even if say you lived in an area where it wasn't, you know, you weren't going to be affected in a year that. The production's down and you're like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to make so much money this year. And they're like, actually, we're selling everyone else's barrels. You know, you really get kind of fucked, you yeah. know, if you're depending on what side of it you're on. And I think there are the idea is that it's fairness and then it keeps the price stable and people get paid on a stable rate. But then it really does prevent the booms that you could get, you know, like I struck gold, Texas tea. I got struck oil on my property.
1: But you then know, it, also, it's like like you just said, if. 13,000 producers are having to give their product to the F pack. Then you can't just like sell individually to mm-hmm. a buyer and be like getting rid of your product. Mm-hmm. Also, as a consumer, you can't really control whose, whose syrup you're getting. What if I Correct. like wanted to buy like maple syrup, ma- maple leaf syrups only? Like, yeah, I Are mean, you want to buy it from that farm because you like that farm yeah. producer. You can't, you, no. yeah.
0: You, so that's what, and also an F pack sounds like uh, some kind of a sex thing. Like, I got it shoved in my F pack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds like one of those commercials you're going to see, like, um, is F-Pack right for you? Yeah, exactly. It's just got a laundry list of things that could go wrong if you start taking this. I said side effects of F-Pack
0: is the controlled pricing of your syrup and not being able to be paid each month, burning down shacks.
1: hell uh, what was her last name? The fiery Reggie. On... Yeah. Grignieri. On Gr- 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 Angel Grigneri. Yes. She, um, is a rebel or an outspoken anti-F-Pack.
0: Who owns... she's the princess leia of syrup
1: yes yes but it's very sad on the the dirty money episode because she's like i've always envisioned my husband and i being able to make a comfortable living and retiring amidst our sugar shack and everything and once f-pack came in she's like it all changed and now like mm-hmm. i don't have a retirement in sight she's like i don't even think of the future because it makes me so sad and i can understand like how one would be like, this is completely screwing my family. I can't c- count on a steady paycheck. And I don't want to say you should go burn down somebody's sugar shack, but I do believe in like, um, a free market.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true. And she, that's kind of all she wants is that. She's able to sell it to whoever she wants to sell it to. Her methods are hardcore. And she, yes. I mean, they show up with, if you haven't watched the Dirty Money, which, I mean, let's be realistic, probably most of you haven't. No. This woman, sh- first of all, she's super awesome. She's like five foot tall, bright red curls, and she wears these cool overalls all the time. And they'll show up when there's these, you know, inspections or whatever. The FPAC people show up on property and they link arms and they basically say, get out of here. You're not coming on our property. Mm-hmm. And then there have been some burned down shots yeah. that may or may not be attributable to her group.
1: It's like people wanting to protect the redwoods or something yeah. like that. Like anything where it's kind of, this is on my property or this is something mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, I don't think she considers that Mother Nature gave it to us. So we should think mm-hmm. of it different. Like it's not really ours to begin with. This mm-hmm. is something we're like getting from the land, but. Nobody it's
0: a question about between, like that. yeah, between do you value the individual over the collective? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting philosophical question of like you're now you're pushing this lady down so she can't retire, but the benefit is you know it's a diffused benefit to the whole larger group.
1: On August twenty fourth, two thousand twelve, as employee Michael Gavro began climbing the barrels, something seemed off. The normally solid barrels seemed unstable. Upon further investigation. Garveau discovered some of the barrels were in fact empty, while others had been drained of their contents and refilled with water. This prompted him to immediately alert the authorities. What happened next would turn out to be the largest police investigation in the history of Quebec. Best 911 call. <laughs> Someone has stolen my syrup. All of this syrup is missing. <laughs> They're like, who is this? <laughs> Julian Beauchamp-Laubierre, a prosecutor in Quebec, explained the unusual situation, where most crimes involve something trackable, such as hair, fingerprints, or DNA. What authorities were tracking here was a fungible product with no tracker and no way of knowing where it went. There was also a race against time as something as delicious as maple syrup was guaranteed to be eaten before the culprit was found. they so, like, we got to search every Waffle House. <laughs> Oh, I wonder how Canadians feel about Waffle
0: House. I'm going to bet that it's not real maple syrup <laughs> that's on the table. You don't that's think that's just a conjecture? It's, just a little.
1: I, I'm going to, I'm going to agree, but I'm also not going to shame Waffle House because it I is
0: delicious. love <laughs> Waffle House. Smothered covered hash browns. Oh, Come at
1: me. yeah. Gosh. That's Tommy's too. Man, H- have you heard of that thing that's like, um, the Waffle House theory of, how well Waffle Houses are doing is indicative of, like, how well the economy is doing?
0: Yes, and I think it's proven out to be accurate.
1: I mean, they're everywhere. Yes. So it stands to reason that if they are they start shutting down everywhere, that's a problem. That
0: makes you nervous about an area. You're like, the economic... The, it's like, this is not a sustainable area.
1: Mm-hmm. Another struggle was that the thieves hadn't actually stolen the barrels. They had stolen what was inside the barrels, meaning that investigators were tasked with opening each barrel to see if the contents inside was actually syrup or simply water that thieves had left behind in its place. One thing that made this job a bit easier was the telling sign of rust on some of the barrels. Even under the coldest of temperatures, pure maple syrup will not freeze. Therefore, unlike water, it will not seep out and cause the metal of the barrels to rust. The indication of the corroded metal was an immediate sign the investigators should check those barrels. Unsurprisingly, they were all filled with water. Honestly, that's
0: pretty genius. If you're gonna, it's like stealing money from a bank vault. You want to steal the money in the back and then just leave like a, a row of mm-hmm. dollars on the front because they're never gonna think to look back in there. No,
1: if all these barrels had been missing, that would have been an immediate red flag. Mm-hmm. But if you just have the barrel, yeah, you're. Who's gonna think to check? Each barrel, nobody has time to do all that. No. You're going to have quite a bit of time to maybe get away with it, maybe not, before somebody catches on. I'll tell you what, it takes one big straw to get
0: those barrels clean, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yes. just a lot of sucking. It's <laughs> one of those giant, like, uh, boba tea straws. <laughs> a boba straw and a <laughs> lot of sucking power. In total, 9,561 barrels, a total of 540,000 gallons, had been stolen worth over 18 million Canadian dollars making this the biggest theft ever in Quebec the police interviewed over 223 witnesses to try and determine who would have the opportunity to move nearly 10,000 enormously heavy barrels fastest way to interview them
0: shake their hand if it doesn't stick mm. move on you're good that's you're a good, good
1: that's a good idea
0: check the corners of their mouth
1: smell their breath smell their breath anytime anytime Ella has had syrup. I can tell. I mean, you just walk into a room, you're like, you had pancakes, didn't you? It's just like yes. syrup, the smell of syrup. I love it. But it mm-hmm. stays on you for days.
0: Oh, you have to, when you go to a restaurant or when you order syrup, pancakes and syrup, you're making a commitment for days. Yeah. It's like eating uh, like a white onion. If I cut up a white onion for a recipe, my hands are going to smell like an mm-hmm. onion. I've just decided that that's what I smell like now. Yeah,
1: that's how, that's, this that's is just my how life. <laughs> This is my life now. I'd rather be syrup than a nut. Yes, same. Investigators were baffled how this could have been going on for so long, right under their noses. Media everywhere immediately jumped on the bizarre bandwagon of the great syrup caper. However, this wasn't the first time an unusual heist had occurred. In 2004, an 11 meter or 36 foot long bridge was stolen in the Ukraine, according to History 101. In 2008, Thieves managed to steal hundreds of tons of pristine white sand from a beach in Jamaica. And in 2009, a Canadian farmer was shocked when $25,000 worth of liquid nitrogen, bull semen, and embryos were stolen from a tanker on his farm. I have a
0: theory as to who did all of these. It's one man. One man. <laughs> one man. He can he can make anything disappear. His name David Copperfield. Oh, also known an addict of bull semen. I'm just I don't know if that part's true.
1: <laughs> There's the only thing that David Copperfield likes better than syrup is bull semen on his pancakes. <laughs> right. Also, he loves isn't making he Canadian? Stuff disappear.
0: Is, isn't he Canadian? I uh, think that's he a is. Good question: <laughs> We'll give him. You know what? I, we'll, they can have David Copperfield Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> you can draft him. It's fine. Who was he? <laughs> not. Was
1: he married to Christy Brinkley? Some hot model, He was yeah. married to some supermodel. Yes, some supermodel. I'm I always that. shocked when things like that happen. I mean, not you that look he at- is a bad-looking guy, but you wouldn't no. look at him and be like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Christy Brinkley's gonna go out with him.
0: We just had to sit through... Okay, <clears throat> we just were given the opportunity to witness a Zoom magic show at work, and... The magician was exactly what you think a Zoom magician would be. Very tight leather pants. He was in his apartment. It was very cute.
1: Hell he was, yes.
0: <laughs> the music, though, was like, o-do, o-do, o-do. he's like, magic. <laughs> and then this smoking, smoking hot girl. And, of course, she's in a crop top and everything, and she's his lovely assistant. And I was kind of joking with my coworker. I was like, yeah, you know, I bet she goes home to her boyfriend at night and is like, oh, yeah, you know, Eric was hanging. And then we found out they were married. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good for you. The greatest magic trick, the greatest heist yeah. of all is to get your lovely assistant <laughs> to marry you. But I do have a call to action for all of our listeners. This is very important. I have not had a good night's sleep since this magic show because he asked three different volunteers to give you a location for a vacation a celebrity name and a duration of time, and my coworker said the beach, Adele for two weeks because they're basic as hell. But I would have said like I don't know the oh, under the ocean or something crazy. Wait, what, what is it again? He, Say it again. You have to tell you had to tell him a location, a celebrity, and a length of time, and then at the beginning of the show, he's like, "Look behind me, there's a locked box," and then. As he got those suggestions, he got a key out of his pocket, unlocked the lockbox, opened it, inside was a plastic tube, like a bank sucker tube, opened the bank tube, and it was a piece of paper that said, I'm going on a vacation to the beach with Adele for two weeks and I have searched high and low on the internet to find because you know the masked magician on Fox I was like he's got me but none of them they've all been like envelope tricks or like number tricks to like do these mentalist things so if anybody knows how we did the three please tell me please I'll do anything um
1: what's his name um do we know a magician oh shit I fucking wish I wish I knew David (laughs) Blaine that's who I'm trying to think of (laughs) David Blaine does that and it's like the first time I saw a David Blaine special, mouth agape, like mind literally blown. mind blown. I remember because he would do all that stuff on the street with people, just yes. like walk up and be like,
0: I'm David like kind Lane. of like that,
1: like, "Hey, tell me, tell, tell me the me name of you, you. want to go, yeah, or of your your ex boyfriend or something like that." And then like a a cab would drive by and honk, and spray painted on the side of the cab would be like the person's name or. He would lift up his shirt and put like ashes on his chest and rub it off. And then in the ashes, it would say the person's name. I Do you want to know how you want to know how the you want to know how the sausage is made? It sounds like I do. I want to know how it
0: got in the box because he cut the lady in he didn't he cut her in half. I think no, he made her float. He did something and I looked up the mass magician and he like said how to do that. But still, I want to know. He was also This yeah. guy was on America's Got Talent, and he kept talking about how he was on America's Got Talent. And at first, I was like, stop saying you were on America's Got Talent. But if I had been on it, I would probably mention it a lot, too. He just works so, it
1: into it. doesn't even yeah, matter. He'll be
0: like, anyway, you may have seen this trick already on America's Got Talent. Or like, this shirt, it's the one I wore on America's <laughs> Got Talent. He's trying Let me to just order. take a sip of water, which I also sipped, on America's Got Talent. They're like,
1: sir, can I take your order? Hmm. I don't know. Was this taco on America's Got Talent? Because I was. <laughs> and they're like, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah. Those slide. I, to me, it's got to be a sleight of hand, but I don't know how it's done. How but could it have gotten in the box? Those things are. Yeah. It's that that kind of trick fascinates me. I, I don't I have no explanation, but I'm always very impressed by how it's done. I guarantee you someone out there knows how it's done. And will please. Email us. Email us because it'll get lost in Instagrams. Email yes, please, us. Please always answer. email. Yes. Yes. Also, Heather says that because I check all the emails. So she's <laughs> like everyone email everything Only email
0: everything. Also, email is searchable and Instagram DMs are not and things yeah, will get lost. That's true. In there. That's true.
1: But I if you know how that trick is done, email us. Although if you're I don't know, I don't know the magician code. We're not gonna rat you. No, but the the mask magician didn't he get catch a lot of shit for like telling how did
0: how do they know everybody he, hosts, is, he has a mask on. That's
1: true. Have you seen that show with Penn and Teller where yes. the magicians come on and they through coded language will tell them like I think you did this trick by doing this. The the magicians try and fool the judges, mm-hmm. and but then. You as the viewer, if you're not savvy to magic jargon, wouldn't know what they were saying. But Pin will be like, he's the one that talks, right? Yes. Be like, yeah, I think when you did blah, blah, blah. And he'll just use like coded language oh, to will be them like, know. Oh, it's
0: like the Larry's Knot or yeah. whatever. And, nobody yeah. knows what that and is. then they're like,
1: yep, that's how I did it.
0: But I can't <sighs> remember the name of that show, but it's so good. I would watch it. I love magic. I'm just, I'm so I delighted. I love magic.
1: I like magic shows. I would have been all for a Zoom magic show.
0: And, oh, good, and, and good and for him
1: for banging his hot assistant or, yeah. w- or maybe good for her for getting that magic D. <laughs> you know what? If he can do that on a Zoom call, imagine what happens in the bedroom. That's right. He's like, I have something to disappear. <laughs> if you can bone while levitating. Shut shit, up. Sign me up. <laughs> How does somebody do that? God damn. Mass magician knows. Well, as investigators continue to scratch their heads. They eventually caught a break when they discovered an anomaly with the tampered barrels. Each one had two marks on the side. dents that had been caused by a forklift removing the barrels for emptying. But these were not Federation forklifts. They had been rented from nearby equipment facilities, and one slip-up led the police to the wheelman, Sebastian Jutra. Jutra had signed one of the rental slips with his full name. This led police to his door, and Jutra welcomed them with open arms. Though Jutra told investigators, and still maintains to this day, that he had no idea the syrup in the trucks was stolen, he has been identified as the link between the major players who actually ran the operation, Yvette Caron and Richard Valliere.
0: The problem is anytime you bring in more than a few people, th- you're going to have a rat. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the wheelman, sloppy wheelman, man, signing mm-hmm. his full name. And the cops just showed up and he was like, oh, yes, I will tell you all the things. He
1: sang like a canary. <laughs> just immediately. <laughs> they were just like like the girl in Dirty Money who is just a journalist knocked on oh, yeah. the store and was like, we're just doing an investigation. He's like, come right in, please. Yes, he told him everything <laughs> again. I also think, you know, you
0: you can't not expect that the syrup is being stolen when you take barrels to a creek. <laughs> like, You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like I delivered them from one Federation warehouse to the other. It's like I snuck them away in the dark of night.
1: And in the investigation, when he's being interviewed by the cops, when they bring him in, he pretty much flat out is like, Once I saw where they were going, I knew what was going on. Like, maybe somebody didn't flat out say, this is hot syrup, but put two and two together and you're going to know where it's going on. Hot syrup is the name of my new um, R&B album, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) hope everyone likes it. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can hear the jams. And you know, the music video is just like cut shots of a bedroom and like Mm -hmm. rose petals falling on a bed. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. In 2010, Carone had purchased a warehouse near the Federation's other storage facilities, perhaps to intentionally get closer to the goods. Just a year after his purchase, FPAC approached him and asked if it would be able to lease warehouse space and store some of the Global Strategic Reserve under his roof. Carone was more than happy to oblige.
0: I mean, that's genuinely like someone being like, Can I store ten million pounds of cocaine <laughs> in your house? And you're like, and when are you gonna check it? They're like, they'll probably come back in a year. Yeah. You're like, Oh, really?
1: Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You gotta the F Pack is playing it fast and loose. If they're just like written from I don't know, I feel like they kind of got uh a little naive and yeah. how valuable this was and what people would do to get their hands on it. They failed in their diligence, for sure. This guy was not a, not a clean dude. Prosecutor Julian Beauchamp-Blabier believes the temptation for Caron was too great, telling Netflix's Dirty Money.
0: When uh, Vic Caron came and see the maple syrup, he found himself sitting on the gold mine.
1: But it was gold that Caron had no idea how to mine. Caron didn't come from producing family and was not involved in the syrup industry before leasing the space. But a driver for his warehouse, Sebastian Jutra, knew just the barrel roller to call, Richard Valliere. Barrel rollers play dirty in the syrup game. They are the ones who handle trades and sales outside the Federation's watchful eye. Once producers sell all the product they can to FPAC, leftovers are sold to barrel rollers like Richard Valliere. The rollers then turn the syrup for a profit to exporters who sell it outside of the country. He's the
0: syrup Tony Montana.
1: Yeah, he's a. I mean, I was just going to say, he's like a drug dealer. Yeah, he's a uh, he's Scarface. He's a syrup Scarface. Mm-hmm. Valliere grew up the son of a syrup producer, and according to Valliere's own attorney, Rene Duval, his client was... Probably the most known barrel roller in Quebec. Although he had been born into trade, Valliere was not a fan of the Federation and had been accused of thumbing his nose at its policies, refusing to play with FPAC's strict rules. In his years as a barrel roller, Valliere had found himself in hot water, being fined over $1 million by the Federation for selling syrup without being an authorized dealer. He basically didn't give a shit.
0: He just, everybody knew he was the guy. Like I said, he's like Tony Montana. He just openly sold shit. Exporters knew if they wanted to make a buck, they called him. Jutra knew if they wanted to offload some product, they called him. And I was like, this man is running like a drug empire that's Mm -hmm. not
1: drugs. (laughs) A sticky, delicious drug empire. And his attorney straight up said that FPAC benefited from him doing this because they get to fine him a
0: million bucks. Mm -hmm. They're making money anyway. Yeah. And they knew, especially when all this went down, they were like, to, to the FPAC told the cops, Go look at this guy, because this guy
1: screws us all the time. It's probably just him again. Yeah, The barrel-roller game was simple. Valliere would sell syrup from producers to exporters, located in nearby New Brunswick or Ottawa, Ontario, where the syrup is not subject to restrictions. Those exporters would then find a way to sell it outside of the country and circumvent the Federation altogether. So when Caron asked Jutra if he knew how he could skim some of the sweet amber gold under his roof, Jutra hooked him up with Richard Valier. and that's why I don't
0: believe that Jutra was like, "I did not know it was stolen." And you're like, you,
1: you, you, you really want to introduce the drug producer to the drug dealer? Yes. Not. No, his hands were sticky with this just as, situation, if you will, just as sticky. Jutra introduced Caron and Valliere. They all agreed that, as the warehouse owner, Caron had access and would be the one to steal the syrup. Jutra would assist by removing the barrels and bringing them to a separate warehouse rented by Valliere. Meanwhile, they replaced the stolen barrels with dummies, painted and stamped to look exactly like they belonged to the Federation. In the beginning, the men would refill the barrels with creek water after emptying them. However, as time went on, they became careless and started returning empty barrels to the warehouse. Once the switch was made, Valliere would do his usual role selling the goods to exporters who shipped it across the globe. For over a year, their operations seemed to run smoothly.
0: Well, it does stick it to FPAC because they get 50 bucks a barrel. But who it also sticks it to is the people that made the syrup, I'm just I'm just now realizing. Because they make their money True. when it's sold. Yes. They don't make their money till it gets sold, so then it's never going to get sold because it's been stolen. I'm sure it's insured.
1: Yeah, it would make much more sense for the producers to if this is the route they want to go to sell to Valier directly correct and just have get paid that way yeah but since i guess they kind of all did get screwed but on the dirty money on hell is she says i followed the case from beginning to end because i will always support people that are like me and are just trying to to make a buck in this industry where we're all getting screwed. So it didn't seem like she considered it that.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I'm they're kind of villains just because they stole a bunch of money in theory, you know, a a liquid version of money. But I was just thinking at the end of the day, the the Federation did lose out on money, but they also lost out on the stuff that they could sell that then they would go pay the producers with. But I think as long as the Federation's getting screwed, the, the rebel uprising
1: is happy. That's true. Even though Valliere had been a seasoned roller, he had no idea who he was working with. Evic Caron was not some simple warehouse owner. Rather, rumors swirled that Caron indeed was connected to the Italian mafia. By the time Valliere started to get nervous, he found it was too late. He was in over his head and couldn't untangle himself from the mess he had made. You always see people like this who
0: get into doing massive amounts of crime and then go, the guy I'm working with is kind of terrible.
1: You're like, do you think so? Oh, do you think? really? Does anyone get to the point where they're making millions of dollars illegally and say, you know what, guys, we're a great team. You know what, I'll never turn on you. Everyone is just a real stand-up guy, and I, I can't see this going bad. I mean, it's any classic drug game it all starts off great everyone's living the high life no pun intended money's just being spent on anything you want and then eventually someone flips mm-hmm. you get the screws put to you and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you turn on each other exactly text messages between the burner phones that the men began using show that nerves ran high one message read
0: a guy from the federation saws the truck
1: with a response saying
0: stay calm please
1: On the day that the Federation showed up to do its annual inspection, the men began to panic. They devised a plan to turn the warehouse lights down low and make a lot of dust so that it would appear that the dummy barrels had been sitting there for months.
0: This is not a crack team of uh, criminals. (laughs) They are the
1: most geniuses. Just put, first of all, put freaking water back in the barrels, you lazy idiots. Also, um, again, kudos to the politeness. Stay calm, please. (laughs) Stay calm. Stay calm. It's not like, stop texting this, you fucking idiot. Calm the fuck down. Calm the fuck down. Also, throughout the entire Dirty Money episode, all of the text messages just a they show take place over these dinosaurs yes it's because the where they
0: met was this (laughs) this gas station they were all about this gas station off of highway 20 or whatever in quebec and there was there's these giant dinosaur sculptures and i guess like dinosaurs to put you back back in the mood of like where this heist went down the men met at a gas station with some fun dinos. So, <laughs> so all of these texts
1: are happening over, and it looks like the dinosaurs are texting each other <laughs> each these other. messages. <laughs> They're the ones that really did the crime. Mm-hmm. As police conducted their hundreds of interviews, several suspects began to emerge, and Caron was an obvious one. Previously convicted of a crime involving a car theft and fraud, the police looked into his involvement right away. They also quickly came to suspect Valliere because of his reputation as a barrel roller and possible involvement in a 2003 syrup heist. He's a serial syrup heister. <laughs> you know? Say that three times fast. hmm
0: Well, that's what his, his uh, lawyer said. They wanted to pin it on him the whole time because he was very well known. He yes. basically just said he's famous. He would. It's again. He's like Tony Montana. You're flashy. You're loud. You're proud about what you do. They're, that's who you're. Is going to be. It's going to put a target on your back. He
1: was a natural scapegoat. Mm-hmm. But the rented forklifts are what led officers to Sebastian Dutra, who was more than willing to sing like a canary and tell the cops everything he knew. He not only turned on Caron and Valliere, he told police that Etienne Saint Pierre. A local syrup exporter was involved as well. Soon, everyone involved was arrested. When Caron and Valier found themselves arrested in sharing a holding cell, Caron's mafioso mentality showed itself again. According to Valier, Caron threatened if Valier opened his mouth, he would be shot in the head. I will shoot you in the head if you <laughs> rat me about this syrup. It's like, oh my God. Also, why were they sharing a cell? I that don't know. That's like a conflict of interest. It's a terrible idea because they're going to get their story straight. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yeah, terrible. As the trial for the co-conspirators began, Valliere testified that initially Caron told him that he had made the syrup himself. But Valliere came to suspect the syrup was stolen when Caron suddenly appeared with an enormous truckload of syrup packed professionally in distinct barrels used by FPAC. Saint Pierre also proclaimed his innocence to the jury, exclaiming, "You can't prove what trees the syrup came from," which is true. That's you know, that's a, a fungible
0: product like this is. There's no DNA. That's what the Julian, the prosecutor, said. We could not test the DNA of the syrup. No. Yeah, he <laughs> says
1: on the on the show, it's like if um, all the milk out mm-hmm. of everybody's refrigerators was stolen, and then you. Call and say, well, all my milk's stolen. I need you to find out who took my milk. It's like, how on the earth would you figure that even out? even if
0: you, you find it, you can't
1: say, well, that's the milk that was gone. It's exactly. like, well, how do you know? I mean, in theory, it's a genius crime. Mm-hmm. One, to very hard to be tracked. And again, because of the longevity of it, you can move this product long before anybody finds out and make your money already.
0: I really think if they would have kept filling them with water, they
1: wouldn't have got busted. Mm. On the stand, Valier cried and said he had no choice but to participate in the scam. When he attempted to turn down a shipment of the ill-gotten syrup, Caron pulled a gun on him and made mention of Valier's girlfriend and daughter, threatening their lives. Valliere testified that Caron told him, I know where you live, according to the National Post. Things got serious. However, prosecutors had trouble believing the story, instead casting Valier as a full participant in the whole ordeal. After all, he took his girlfriend and daughter on lavish vacations using the money he obtained from the crime. Valliere protested, claiming that the trips to Florida and the Caribbean were not vacations, but were instead meant to keep his family safe from the violent Caron, who Valier again stated had ties to organized crime.
0: The best and safest place to hide is Disney World. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, these weren't trips to South Dakota. Yeah, not that, uh, uh, no shame, no sh- no shade on South Dakota. I'm just saying, but an isolated maybe it's not a vacation hotspot. Yeah, but you're going to the Caribbean and all these mm-hmm. gorgeous beach places to hide to-, to hide. to <laughs> hide, we had to rent the speedboat to be able to run away just in case. The best place to hide is in plain sight. Exactly, you, know? you got to find getting- a crowded beach and just stake your claim.
0: <laughs> you're going down Splash Mountain and they take your photo. No one can kill you because there's a camera. It's That's safer. True.
1: Other evidence in it at trial painted a quite different picture. Valier and Caron seemed to be cordial, possibly even friends. According to the National Post, text messages revealed that when Caron fathered a child, Valier texted him a congratulatory note. Valier also invited Caron to a party, enticing him with the fact that they had hired a masseuse, an unusual move for someone that was allegedly terrified of the man.
0: Yeah, that weakens the argument that you're afraid for your life, hanging yeah. out with someone when you're like, but the only way to defuse the situation was to get to Um
1: <laughs> t- I think that something went down when they were se- sharing their cell. Like, they oh, were all cool. So? And then somebody, it probably was like, you're not keeping your side of the cell clean. <laughs> or, you know, you got to, sh- they have those little toilets that are like, a- sink and a toilet and there was an argument over who wanted to brush their teeth and who needed to pee wait 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 you brush your teeth in the toilet in prison i have never been to prison (laughs) knock on wood nor have i i've never been to jail either knock on wood but i believe that they have your toilet is also your your sink i think
0: and also where you make the wine
1: yeah maybe i'm wrong Toilet wine. There's something, something like that. I don't know.
0: That's if so, that's wrong. I I vote we give. I mean, I
1: don't mean the the toilet water is your sink. I mean it's like built as one contraption. Okay, so like upper part is sink, bottom part is toilet. Yes. Okay, I can see how that works. I think again. We're going to get so many emails about, (laughs) as someone who's been to prison, I'm in prison currently. I'm an
0: architect that designs prison (laughs) toilets, and I'm here to tell you. Can people in prison
1: listen to podcasts? Is that a dumb question?
0: Uh, I don't think it's a dumb question. I think the problem would be, like, access to a device that you could, like, listen. So maybe they could listen online if they had, like, library time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But I, if, you're, if you're listening to us and you're in prison on library time, go research your case. Don't. This isn't going to help you. We're talking <laughs> okay, about dumb first, stuff. But first,
1: email me and tell me if I'm right about this toilet <laughs> yeah, <we> sink. Okay? <laughs> we and then go, go research your case. They do have that podcast that is recorded in prison. I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but I can't think of the name of it. Yep, that's right. I, I think remember it's a... Uh, yeah. Might be an NPR one? No, that's not right. Can't think of the name of it, but it's, um, it's very good. It's very critically acclaimed. Well, on the night before his own trial was to begin, Jerome pleaded guilty to theft over $5,000 and trafficking of stolen syrup, according to the National Post. He was sentenced to a five-year prison term and saddled with $1.2 million fine. Valliere, who authorities called the ringleader was sentenced to eight years in prison and required to pay a $9.4 million fine. His sentence will be increased by 14 years if he does not pay back the fine. The exporter, Etienne St. Pierre, received two years home confinement and a $1.03 million fine. For all his cooperation, Sébastien Dutra spent only eight months in jail. pays to be a rat. Hey, you know what? I wonder uh, how he's doing now, though. True. It pays okay. to be a ra- if it keeps you out of prison for ratting somebody out, but you're not safe.
0: Then that's true. Was it worth it? Avik <laughs> Caron is going to come after you. with His mafioso mm-hmm. mentality. I mean, all these
1: guys need to watch Goodfellas. That's all I'm saying. You
0: could learn a lot. I just started watching Fear City on Netflix, which is about the mafia in the '70s in New York. Oh, fascinating. nice, fascinating.
1: Yeah, that's one of um, my favorite subjects. Is Mafia, especially like New York mafia and everything. Oh I you gotta love, love mafia movies. Is this a a documentary series? It's a Netflix,
0: yeah, it's a new Netflix documentary series and they focus on The five crime families of the 70s and then the FBI teams that were formed to in order to take them down. And it's it's a mixture of some what do you call it like flashback you reenactment Mm -hmm. and then interviews with the current day FBI agents and some of the guys that were participating in the different families. And it's just very well made. And it's fascinating because they show like how they tricked the FBI guys into like letting them in the house and basically bugging their phone bugging their TV and stuff by purposely interfering some the little tech guy said oh yeah i figured out like the cable line if i push this button it would cause interference so i just did it for like three days in a row i messed with this tv so much that then i knocked on the door and said hey there's people in the neighborhood that have you know been having issues with their tv and the guy's like get in here right now fix it right now and he said i might have to come back he goes no crack it open whatever you have to do he goes i literally sat there had him hold the flashlight and i put the mic in man, it's so it's so cool man. i'm gonna have to check
1: that out yeah it's, it's the simple stuff like that you can't overthink it nope like it's it's simple shit like that it's also that kind of shit that gets people caught Like you have a busted out taillight or you sign your full name to a Uh. rental slip of something (laughs) forklift slip i mean aaron hernandez did the same thing i mean he did a lot of slip ups but yeah he just rented a freaking car in his name that he then transported a body in Mm mm-hmm but you just think it'll be fine yeah well, because most of the syrup had already been sold or consumed by the time authorities caught on, those involved still considered the heist a success, as the ultimate goal was to stick it to FPAC. Valier even justified his actions by declaring, Stealing from thieves is not stealing, according to History 101, leaving some deposit if the men were actually thieves or rather heroes. Well, it's a very. Robin Hood situation, isn't it?
0: That's what they feel like. I mean, he never gave a shit about following their rules. And this was one more way, one big major way to not only stick it to him, but also go to
1: Florida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Win-win. hmm Though the Federation claims that another heist like this is impossible, the tension in Quebec between the producers and FPAC only keeps increasing. When the government artificially inflates the price of a good by creating scarcity... Whether with oil, drugs, or syrup, a black market of unscrupulous people looking to turn a profit will always follow. With tensions continuing to rise, another major heist does not seem impossible at all, but rather inevitable.
0: Man. So
1: what do we think?
0: You know, I'm not a fan of people breaking the law. Sure. But. Yeah. If you watch The Dirty Money... This federation, for all the good that it maybe once did, I think it is creating like impo- sort of poverty pockets in situations where people who once could farm pretty freely are now being artificially, you know, there's basically a thumb on their production schedule and their quotas and stuff. So, yeah, is is it the right way to do it? Probably not. But uh, is stealing from thieves stealing? I, I think was it's still about stealing. To say,
1: is stealing from thieves is it's not stealing or is it stealing? That's a a good moral quandary. Question. A yeah. conundrum. Yeah, conundrum. They, I mean,
0: the government would tell you it's still stealing. Sure,
1: sure. <laughs> but the government's also the one that's profiting off True. of all of this, you know. So,
0: And just because something's legal doesn't mean it's morally right. Yep.
1: Yeah, perception's reality. So if you're on hell trying to just live a comfortable life with your husband and your sugar shack and have a... Retirement, which is what everyone strives mm-hmm. for, I would she's she doesn't think that she's stealing from anyone rather the the government is stealing from her, you know, but then there's the other guy in the documentary. I can't think of his name, but he is very pro federation, and his father was one of the three people that started the federation, so of course he's you know all for it and everything. His father's shack was also one of the three that got burned down back in the sixties and everything. He said it was the first time he saw his father cry and that kind of got to me i'm like because Mm -hmm. that is it's still very sad that is still their livelihood so Mm -hmm. you know he says that there's a in the beginning the f-pack was all just gray hairs and you'd go to these conventions and everybody was old but now there's a ton of young people and it's really a way for people to make a living and and have a future for them and their families, and that there's like a huge waiting list of thousands of people trying to get on it to to be a part of it. But my question is, when the market is that saturated, mm-hmm. how can anyone really make any substantial kind of money? Well, in truth,
0: it's like if you that's I think that's what they're trying to protect against is that if everybody's willing to sell it, you know, if a newbie is willing to sell it for fifty percent cheaper because they don't know what they're doing or they don't have a lot of overhead, then you do have a saturated market. But it's like that with anything. And then what's the true value of something? Is If you keep it in a warehouse and choose when to sell it, then it's that's just artificially inflating the price of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think it's funny, like, the morality of our perception as people who love movies like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, Star Wars. We love these movies where, like, the downtrodden... The Angel Grenieres, the, the rebels are the heroes that blow up the Death Star, that, you know, blow up Lord Voldemort or whatever and turn the system on his head. But then when you see it in real life, you're like, that is offensive and I don't approve of that. <laughs> so it's just interesting that we love it. We like consume it as entertainment of like, yeah, down with the man. But then when it comes to it, we're like, put those people in jail for their crimes.
1: See, watching this, I honestly didn't feel that way. I wasn't like, oh, I wish, I think all of these people should be arrested and jailed. Yeah. And perhaps it's because it was stealing from the government and not an individual. And that's just kind of how my brain works, because <laughs> the government has so much money already. You know, That's true. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's pros and cons to both sides. And... We're not Canadian, so in the end, True. we don't really get a say in it. You know what? This could be happening on American soil. Still don't get a say in it. No. I mean, I think
0: – because I wonder – and I I mean, I guess I didn't want to get too far afield of the actual heist itself and, like, the generalities of maple syrup production, but I know there's producers in Vermont and stuff. You know, there's U.S. maple producers. Oh, absolutely. I there's different trees. You know, it may taste different or whatever sure. than the Canadian one, but that's the question is, like – you know, they they don't operate under some cabal and they seem no. to be making an all right living.
1: And in fact, I read that since 2000, the growth of the industry in Quebec has actually de- declined quite a bit. And where it's surging and the most growth is happening right now is Vermont. And I wonder if that you
0: you have a situation where you're so overly controlled that you move to produce somewhere else where it's
1: more free. Mm-hmm. The land of the free tree. Yep. The land of the free tree. Well, let us know if you're from this area and you were involved in this. Maybe you have a sugar shack. Are you a producer? Do you work for FPAC?
0: Let us know if David Copperfield stole something from your house or a neighborhood.
1: Also, I got to say, one of my favorite parts of the Netflix show was how they have these, I guess, little festivals or Mm -hmm. little carnivals and they just pour out snow and dump maple syrup on it. And then kids will take little popsicle sticks and just twirl it up and eat it. And I was like, that Give me sounds that. delicious. Give me that. My friend, my friend Tyler, who's from Canada, told me that when they were in high school, they would go out into the woods and tap a tree or find a tree that was tapped and just make a snowball and just pour the syrup on the snowball and just eat it.
0: Man, the original snow
1: cone. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's original. That's number 1. Yes. The original Canadian snow cone from the source. Well, we love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making and hosting the show.
0: As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly Mix Bags, where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner.
1: The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure.
0: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, and like us on Facebook at SinisterhoodChristy.
1: I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M Wallace Heather. I am on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil
0: rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Allison Walsh.
1: Carmen Diego. Where Aaron- in the world is she? She's on our Patreon. <laughs> Carmen San Diego, uh, Aaron Revel, Jay Watkins, Jacqueline Fisher, Carly Christine, Sharon Hall, Jennifer Scoby, Beck, Drew Bible, Kate, Paige Clark, Caitlin Czar. O.G. Buddy, Courtney, Lena Benoit, Sue Thompson, Angel Star, Rachel Ludwig, Paige Bird, Samantha McIntosh, Doreen Sellers. Pensudar Stewart, Hannah Johnson, Crystal DeCasas, Emily Smith, Amanda Johnson, Sarah Carson, Sophia Loretta, Amanda Hines, Jen Caulfield, Lorette Ireland, Veronica Wilhelm, Amanda Caricato, Haley Durrington, Rochelle Chetwind, Wendy Dreisbach,
0: Sean, Rachel Pentel, Courtney Conway, Marnie Davimis.
1: Christina Billu, Hannah Lamore, Taylor, Winnie Hefner, and Hilary Jurgens. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show during these trying times. We sincerely appreciate it. We couldn't do this without you. We love you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And keep it creepy. <laughs> Sinister.